morning, everybody. Happy Tuesday. It is 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Central. And this is Are You There, God? It's Kira and Phil. And I am Kira Austin Young, priest in charge of St. Anne's Episcopal Church in Nashville, Tennessee. And I'm Philip Duvall, and I'm rector of Church of the Redeemer in Cincinnati, Ohio. Is that Ruthie I hear hanging out in the back? Yeah, I, she's in her crate. Um, but I think somebody just walked up to the door, so. <laughs> I mean, she's got to protect you. That's right, yeah. But from she the, did um, from the she did graduate from doggy school this weekend. I saw the pictures so. of that, congratulations. Yeah, that was exciting. That it's, was exciting. Been, it's been a fun process just to kind of see her like change and learn and like get to kind of like know her and bond with her better. So. Yeah, yeah, training actually is as much for the owner as it is for the dog it turns out oh for sure yeah so i was a lesson like to be learned there but i'm not interested in learning it yeah one of the things um that i one of my strengths let me just brag on myself for a little bit Please do. <laughs> um one of my strengths and this has long been true like since i was a kid and i was doing sports and stuff um is that i'm very coachable and part of that is because i pretty automatically like defer to authority and I'm like oh if you're telling me this thing that I should do then I should do it right um but uh I I was reminded of that during this process because they would be like no not you know the trainers would be like not like that like this and then they'd be like oh yeah okay let me do that and then I'll oh, get results right. like yeah <laughs> um so yeah what's new with you Oh gosh, uh, you know, um, just the typical crippling self-doubt and uh, uh, existential dread. Um, uh, and and raising money, like we talked about last week. Yeah. Um, and, um, but overall, you know, uh, I love the fall weather. Yes. Love the fall weather. It's making me very happy. Um, and then, uh, uh, I don't know, I mean, I'm reading Ernest Hemingway, so that's doing some things to my head, you know. Oh, yeah, just lean into it, man. Oh, I, oh, oh. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, it's like I want to drink, I want to drink wine out of a leather pouch for breakfast, you know, while <laughs> cradling my firearm uh, in the Spanish Civil War. I'm not. I'm you not. like farewell to armsing, or I, um... I, I'm actually so no, I'm for whom the bell tolls it. For whom the bell tolls it. Um, <laughs> Uh, the funny thing is, so so I read a farewell to arms in college, not as part of a class. I was so when I went abroad, um, when I which I when I studied abroad. <laughs> um, hold on, let me let me blanket myself in my privilege and just get all cozy. Um, <laughs> when I was uh, when I was I was in Italy for a semester, and I found this bookstore. Um, it's tremendously lonely to be in another country, and um, it's just it's lovely and fantastic. And also very lonely. Um, mm, uh, yeah. Uh, and and it, yeah, I was and I was sort of living into the feels of it. You know, I was a I was twenty years old. And um, um, uh, for those of you who are in the know, you know, uh, Akira and I are both fours on the Enneagram. So my feels my feels were all in full effect. We're all about the vibe, like strolling, We're vibing, through, like vibing through Italy Italian with my with my disc man <laughs> and um, my all black, my little goatee little black hat like this and uh it was good it was good and um I found a bookstore that sold it had a section that sold books in the English language hmm. and so um I, and all my classes were in Italian and I, and I lived in an Italian home and so I was learning Italian very well but I was like man and this was this was when they had internet cafes this is like prior to the smartphone gods and all the rest so I was like I started reading, I just read a bunch of books. I was traveling all the time. And somehow I decided to read A Farewell to Arms. I don't remember why or how. I don't know what sparked it. Um, but I read it and I was like, I remember messaging my brother and being like, wow, like sending him an email, of course. And I was like, wow, like A Farewell to Arms. And he was like, if you think A Farewell to Arms is good, he's like, for whom the bell tolls is going to blow your mind. Mm. And I was like, cool, I'm gonna read that next. I didn't, 20 years later, I am now, 22 years later, I am now reading For Whom the Bell Tolls. And um, <laughs> it only took me 22 years after the initial recommendation, but it is, it is, um, I mean, Hemingway's, you know, it's almost like, I mean, the, the kid's got a future, I think. Um, <laughs> Knows what he's doing. He's a good writer. 
he is he a writes about things that like I was never going to know about this stuff otherwise. Yeah. So here's my embarrassing admission because okay. I know Ernest Hemingway is um, highly masculine and sometimes kind of a toxic way, right? Oh yeah. Um, I love Ernest Hemingway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's, I think his writing is fabulous. I, it's for me, it is that also, it's also that window into like another kind of another time that, um, yeah, just really kind of pushes my like wistful buttons, which is like my favorite thing. (laughs) There's a, there's a vulnerability even in his toxicity. Yes. I think there's something about Hemingway where he's got skin in the game. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't um, let himself off the hook. Yeah. So, so, so crit- all, all critiques are valid of him and it's worth our time to pay attention to them unquestionably. Um, and, and also, um, I'm trying to figure out, good morning. Hey, hold on. Are these messages, do you see anything in the chat? I'm not seeing anything in the chat. Hey, if you're chatting, if you're here, say hello to us because I'm I'm looking and I'm not seeing anything and I want to make sure we got our folks. It might be a chat from a different, man, this thing is so weird. Y'all have no idea how ridiculous our technology is. I know that there's some folks here, so join us. Um, well, we actually weren't going to talk about Ernest Hemingway today. <laughs> we weren't? Oh, they're here. Good. Fantastic. Oh, Kira, you can't say you're here. That's cheating. And Ed's here. Fantastic. I bet Ed has some thoughts on Hemingway. I would love to know what Ed thinks about Ernest Hemingway. Um, Ed runs our theology circle. They do. They read books. They read uh, books of theological content. Um, and, uh, and he's like a phenomenal moderator because he gets it all set up. They, he, he and his wife... They, they do all the reading, they have all these questions set up, but then they also just sort of like let people, like they don't, it's not iron fist, like, and it's mm. not didactic. It's like, it's very much vibing the room and figuring out what people need and allow them to kind of sort it out themselves. Um, and they've been doing some really cool work. And it's been one of, the, they're one of those like ministries at the church where it's like, um, um, do I have to worry about this one? Nope, they're fine. Like, like yeah, nope, like those things that like just can run without like your input at all. You're just yes. like, yes, yes. Hello, have fun. Yes. You know? if, you, if you guys, if you guys need me for anything, and they're like, we don't. Oh, okay, yeah. cool. Okay, uh, I'll be down there. I'll be down over there. If you need me, just let me know. No, no, we'll let you know. We won't need you. Have a good time. Uh, anyways, they, they do good work. Um, so yeah, I'm reading from the Bell Tolls, and it's messing with my head, of course um uh as well it should as well it should you should yeah. you should you should read stuff that messes you up right? <laughs> sometimes, sometimes are you reading are you reading things for pleasure right now i'm um uh there is an author who uh whose book let me see what was the um now i'm gonna forget what her she had a big book kind of like make it big this year. And I think it was called like the wedding party. Um, oh, yeah. And, yep. and so I'm mean. reading her other book, which is called the hunting part. I'm, well, she has a bunch of other books that I'm reading. It's called the hunting party. And, you know, it's, um, I will say it's not particularly like literary or um, it is very entertaining. <laughs> There's a Are you mystery. apologizing because I'm reading Hemingway. Are you apologizing for not reading heavy, heavy? Lyrics? I am. I am. <laughs> I, I, you know what? Like that's on me. Uh, um, so don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't yeah, ever apologize it, for, for that. Um, Cause when we're done, I'm going to go sit and read the liner notes from a Bob Dylan box set. So don't, right. don't, <laughs> I'm about to order the biography of a producer who was the record producer who signed Bob Dylan back in 1961. So just so we're clear, you don't need to, like, we're good. We're good. Yeah, okay, let me get this right. The author is Lucy Foley. Her okay. big book this year was The Guest List, or I mean, I guess it was 2020, it came out. Um, and it's a, it's about like a, a thing that happens at a wedding 
And then this book that I'm reading is about a thing, an incident that happens, like a bunch of friends get together every year for like New Year's Eve and right. somebody, um, both of the books I've read from her, they're all set in kind of like a remote or, um, you know, kind of enclosed space. Yeah. Um, and, and you get kind of each chapter is from the point of view of like a different character. And so you're kind of seeing, seeing the like secrets unfold. Um, so is she like, so is she like smart, but pulpy? It's like, yeah. I mean, they're very well written. I just looked at her pictures and she very much looks like a writer. Yeah. <laughs> they're, um, they're very well written and very entertaining. And awesome. um, it's, I, I've really enjoyed them. Um, so. I'm, I'm, I'm when it comes to entertainment and all that, and then we, we will talk about death. We're going to talk about death today um, and dying and, and sainthood, I think. And Hallowtide. But, yeah. Hallowtide. I'm going to let you lead the discussion on that because you okay. have a deeper understanding of anything that says with the word tide after you're going to be a better, <laughs> like, like you're going to be a better help than well, I am. I'm, I'm wearing my like Dia de los Muertos earrings today. I have some questions for you about those earrings. <laughs> uh, we're going to get to that. Um, I was, when I'm, when I'm like, I, I don't know how to like reading has to be active. Like I have a hard time reading things that aren't, if I'm going to zone out, I actually want to zone out by like either like playing a game on my phone or watching a television show. Mm. And so I'll watch absolute utter garbage and feel fine about that. Like when people are like, uh, what's your guilty pleasure? I'm like, I don't feel guilty. About yeah, that. no, guilty pleasure is like a um no makes oxymoron. Yeah, me. and I also think it is like a problematic, like what does that mean? Thank you. Like I prefer the term problematic fave. <laughs> oh, I like that. Like Hemingway, like Hemingway is not a guilty pleasure, he's a problematic fave. He's a problematic fave, and really all your faves are problematic. So oh, it's for the fun. record, for the record. Except but like I like Sex in the City, love that TV show. It is so problematic okay. in a lot of ways. <laughs> you know, there's one fave that's not problematic, Kira. Jesus. Jesus, you got it. You got it on the first try. <laughs> I love that guy. He's great. <sighs> I want to talk about, can we just talk about, do we have one more show before we take a little bit of a break? We have one I think more? This is, I think this is our last show before we take a little bit of break of a break. Oh, we're not doing next week? No, I guess we could. I kind of, well, let's figure it out. I want to just talk about Jesus a lot. Okay. I want to do an episode where all we do is talk about Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Well, not just, not like being John Malkovich, where you just <laughs> say the name over and over, but like where we just talk about. Anyway, okay. We are going to talk today about all saints, all souls, and Halloween, and yeah. uh, all of that. And yes. I'm going to hand it over to you so you can make this a more legit conversation. Okay, so um, as you may know, October 31st is Halloween, which is a term that comes from All Hallows Eve, which is the day before uh, the major feast day in our tradition, which is All Saints Day. I love All Saints Day because they were like, well, we know there's probably some saints and we don't know their names and we don't really know what they did. So let's just have a day where like we kind of remember all of them. All of them. All of them. Even which, ones like, which ones? All, all of them. All of, all of them. Um, it's like, you know, in Acts when Paul is talking about like, you've got like a temple to this God and you've got a temple to this God and you've got a temple to like the, the gods unknown. that you're, the unknown God. Right. That's a little bit what All Saints Day is. Like, there's a lot of saints that we don't know that the church maybe hasn't officially commemorated. So we're just kind of kind of lump them into this day called All Saints Day. Yes. But, um, so Phil, you grew up in a considerably more uh, conservative tradition yes. than I did. What yeah. was your relationship to Halloween? Was that like a thing that- Oh, that's a good question. Uh, we you celebrated or we was were, it like, it's the occult, don't touch it. Like We were a thoroughly white supremacist Americanized church. <laughs> so we were perfectly comfortable with Halloween. Mm. Um, uh, no, I grew up with Halloween and it was fine and no one had a problem with it. And because it was an American holiday. And we would like, okay. we were the kind of fundamentalists that would look down our nose at other fundamentalists for being fundamentalist, ah. right? So we would be like, man, those Baptists don't dance or play cards and they don't even have liturgy. And, uh, uh, you know, and like, can you believe those people don't like, Lutherans drink beer. 
you know, and like eat and like eat like like you know bratwurst. Um, and uh, I like German Lutheran was real for me growing up. Like mm-hmm. the church in which I grew up, they still have one service on Christmas Day that's all in German. <laughs> wow, I know. Um, and it's not even like a German part of town. Like it's just like super intense. But anyhow, so it so uh, it was sort of like if Luther did it, we were okay with it. So cussing and um, cussing and putting people down and eating to excess and drinking beer were all fine. Mm. Um, and so trick-or-treating was totally fine. What you trick-or-treated as mattered, right? Okay. Like you couldn't like, you could like, like to this day, I'm 42 years old and I won't go near a Ouija board. Okay, yeah. Even or, as a joke. Like, there was a you movie dress about up as it. Like a there was a movie or a there witch. There was a movie about Ouija and I was like, I'm not even gonna see the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and people can be like, oh, you're older now. I, I am. When you've left that tradition, I have. So you could do this. No, I cannot. Yes. No. So there's whole things around the occult that I, my church growing up did a very good job of just saying like, nope. No, yeah. Right, so uh, I would never have gone as anything occultish. Okay. Right. Yeah, I think that's a good, like, um, when we talk about like the way Christians interact with something like Halloween, you know, there's always the people that are like, well, actually it's Samhain and it's, you know, pagan in origin and um the christian church kind of co-opted it which is you know i mean there's so much syncretism throughout the christian tradition i mean from its very origins um so who's to say but it it does have some christian roots right as all hallows eve um and you know this this complete like there are a lot of churches around here that you know have fall festivals or have like other things but they won't say the word like halloween right um (laughs) which i find just like very fascinating i mean there is that like avoidance of the occult but i think there's a way of doing halloween yeah that does not necessarily um go like can doesn't necessarily touch that so um i'm a big fan of of a christian celebration of halloween in terms of for me, it's about mocking death and demons, Ooh. you know, um, because we know, especially because the next day is All Saints Day, we know that like ultimately though that death and demons have like no power because Jesus has the ultimate power. Um, that's my favorite and thing so to hear. just like that's the thing to hear. Huh? That's my favorite thing to hear. Yeah. <laughs> you know, death and demons have no power because Jesus has power. Yeah, and Jesus was raised for the dead, conquered death, mm. uh, you know, is is all powerful. And so we can kind of do this thing where we um, mock death and demons a little bit before kind of remembering the next day, the the church, what we might call the church triumphant, um, right. the, the saints in heaven who have received their glory so, um, so I didn't celebrate All Saints Day growing up. We celebrated Reformation Day. Reformation Day. Yeah. So that's another, right? Like there's a lot of different ways um, that Christians interact with this period of time around like October 31st to November 2nd. Yeah. Definitely more like Lutheran traditions commemorate Reformation Reformation Day because Martin Luther nailed, allegedly nailed the 95 Theses to the door of the Wittenberg Cathedral, knowing that everyone was coming to church on All Saints Day. Um, so they would all see them. He was on a super sugar high from trick-or-treating the night before. Yeah, he was, he was definitely trick-or-treating. Can you, imagine trying to, can you imagine growing up in a household that didn't do Halloween? And you were like, and they were just like, you were a kid and you were just like, but if I just go next door to that house and ring the doorbell, they're just gonna give me Snickers. They're just gonna give them to me. And then your parents were like, no, that's that's of the devil. Yeah. Imagine, you just be like, what, 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 I'd be out. I'd be out right then, that would be it. Yeah, I mean, you know, I grew up, I grew up in the Episcopal church and I don't remember ever, like there being anything kind of said about Halloween being bad or you know having to like set some boundaries around it or like um 
that just wasn't really part of the conversation. It was just kind of like a fun, goofy thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, same. It was just fine. As long as you didn't do anything occulty, it was fine. Right. Also, I don't do, um, I don't do haunted houses. I don't like jump scares. <laughs> If you go to this one haunted house, this person with a fake knife that looks really real will follow you around. Yeah, that sounds awful. I know. <laughs> exactly. That like terrible. That, can't do it. Can't do it. Um, but there is something about scaring ourselves in a way that is safe that yeah. humans like to do. Roller coasters. Roller coasters. Yeah. Haunted Scary houses. Yeah. Um carriage marriage <laughs> you know re scary movies scary yeah. books there's something about um kind so of you know getting... go say it this is good yeah. well it's just like kind of getting your adrenaline pumping but knowing that ultimately nothing's actually going to harm you this is an interesting thing this idea of of like reading scary stories to tell in the dark when i was a kid Mm -hmm. um, or, I did or, a lot of goosebumps. Yeah. So my I haven't I never read goosebumps for some reason, but my kids did do. And 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 yeah, it's that thing of like there's something really fascinating. And at first I was not sure what to do with what you just said about making fun of death, but like that's there is like that is a little bit of what we're doing when we do these things that scare us. Like, see, I have created a situation in which I can be scared, but I'm totally safe. Yeah. So, um, I actually once preached a sermon that about the exact, about that and talked about how like real life is actually the exact opposite where we do everything we can to pretend that we're safe when in fact we're not, mm. was one mm -hmm. of my more uplifting, one of my more uplifting sermons. Um, <laughs> so what do we do? So, so, so we've got all saints. Um, we haven't talked about all souls. Yeah. Uh, which um, I, think I reject. But I want to know what your thoughts are. Um, and then Halloween, like Halloween as the eve before, the, the hallowed eve, mm -hmm. night before we celebrate all of the saints. And you are wearing Dia de los Muertos uh, earrings. Yes. Um, um, gringos are learning about this new, you know, in a newfound way and um, figuring out ways to 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 corporatize it as quickly as possible. But um, I don't know. I don't know how much we want to talk about that. I mean, that's very, that's a very specific regional observance in right. a very specific part of Mexico that we've sort of like, like a lot of American culture has sort of like, sort of, we're starting to pay attention to it and treat and like it. I know yeah. you also are a person who is, uh, pretty obsessed with, uh, skeletons and, uh, things that are like spooky. Death. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, so where so where like so what does this time of year mean for you? Yeah, um, so this is what I lovingly refer to as spooky season, love which um, honestly for me can go anywhere from the day after Labor Day to basically the end of Advent because I think Advent's kind of spooky. Um, sure. <laughs> we're thinking, you know, once we get to Advent, we're thinking a lot about like judgment and heaven and hell and the apocalypse um all of these kinds of things that can be that are i think should be a little bit scary for yeah. us if we take them seriously um so i and you know in the in the northern hemisphere it's turning colder the days are getting shorter um the green yeah. leaves on the trees are turning colors and and dropping and we're kind of you know looking towards um winter and what that means kind of a, a a dead season or a season where things go underground and are not um we can't see them what can right. we can't see what's happening so for me spooky season is really about facing mortality and facing mm -hmm. our mortality which i don't think our western culture is particularly good about mm -hmm. Um, there's so I, though I think, I don't know, I think the pandemic has actually made us better about this culturally. Uh, there was an article. So the big thing in the last couple of years have been these enormous 12 foot skeletons that you can get at Home Depot that they've mostly sold out. And there was a big article in the Washington Post yesterday that was like, 
these giant skeletons are just part of like how we live now. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, we've got skeletons coming out of the ground in our front yard now. Yeah. <laughs> like, and it's just like, that's a given. Right. Like, so there's like, this, yeah. there's been this embrace of um, the kind of creepy, maybe even morbid. I, you know, I don't, it depends on your threshold for this kind of thing. Um, but that is like, I think it, for me, it's about an embrace of what we kind of say to each other on Ash Wednesday, you know, which is that we are dust and we'll return to dust. And um, that like, what we have is not going to be forever. And to be aware, uh, I mean, first of all, it's part of the Christian tradition, this kind of idea of memento mori or remembering that you're going to die. And when you have that, if you meditate on that, it kind of puts things in perspective um, in terms of, you know, if you're making a decision or you're, uh, you know, thinking about, should I say evening prayer or should I have a glass of wine on the patio? (laughs) First of all, both guys. (laughs) You can do both. But um, this kind of, remembrance that whatever we have, whatever we're trying to accumulate, whatever our goals are, uh, are ultimately not, um, one, yeah, we're not safe. Like they're not in our control. The flip side of this, there was an article that was making the rounds the other day that was like, actually for Christians dying is good. And I don't think that's the right takeaway from what I'm, what I'm trying to say. And it, it was kind of this like, ultimately it's up to God and God has everything in God's hands. And so it doesn't matter whether we live or die, but like, I'm going to yeah. look both ways before crossing the street still. Well, I'm going yeah. to yeah. try to, you know, move my body and exercise a little bit so there's I can. A, there's a great the old, do. there's a great old uh, spiritual tune uh where the refrain is you're so heavenly minded you're no earthly good yeah yeah when you start saying since god's got us all it doesn't matter it's like man you're no earthly good i got no i got nothing for you like again it goes back to like 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 oh like halloween is like you know candy's bad for you you go next door and ring the doorbell and they'll hand you a snickers we've got to if you are in a headspace where you think that's bad you've got to check your priorities because that is an amazing miracle reality. (laughs) Like even as an adult, I'm like, this is amazing. By the way, with your help, Kira, we can make spooky season all year. All year, you know, I, spooky season can be all year long. That is true. I want to hold off on uh, Dia de los Muertos for a moment. And I want to hold off on, I want to come back to something really quickly here. You introduced the conversation because we will be observing the, the Feast of All Saints. Mm-hmm. And since this is a show for uh, church nerds and aspiring church nerds um, and closet church nerds, that, that, that there is, a, once you get into the, the, the church nerd higher echelon, you find out that there is, the, the Gnostic church nerd, you find out that there is a, um, a grumbling among some of the spikier members of our contingent about a difference between something called all souls and something Mm -hmm. called all saints. Mm -hmm. These are two different days and that they have two different purposes. Yes. And um, most of the people who are gonna be watching or listening are not actually gonna be, that's not gonna be how they have, a lot of them won't know that or have not, don't know the distinction. So I would like for us to talk a little bit about that distinction. Yeah. So here's one of the issues is that the Episcopal Church does not have a cohesive definition of what a saint actually is. Right. And you can see this in the various calendars that have been proposed in general conventions. Some of the people that are proposed on the calendar of saints are not even particularly Christian. Um, it's It gets murky in part because we don't have a great definition of what or, or theology in the Episcopal Church around what or who um, a saint is. Yep. So this year I'm doing something a little bit different at my church. We're actually celebrating Hallowtide and doing a service on 
All Hallows Eve, a service on All Saints Day in the evening, and a service on All Souls Day. And those are all going to look very different. How, um, different. how are you differentiating between All Saints and All Souls? So for All Souls Day, we are remembering and praying for anybody who has died that their names are submitted. We're going to pray for the people in our columbarium. Um, you know, I'm kind of using this opportunity of observation of All, All Souls Day as a kind of communal grieving day for, mm. um, I mean, COVID related, but not just COVID deaths, because there've just been so many deaths. I mean, not even in my congregation, but like family members of people in my congregation. And this is a time to kind of, I mean, what's well, sort of going to look like evening prayer and we're going to light candles and, you know, pray for names and ring a bell, you know, mm. um, and really kind of do uh, anybody Christian or not churched or not um, can be lifted up in prayer on All Souls Day. But on All Saints Day? And so on All Saints Day, I would differentiate by saying that saints are primarily those um, remembered by and commemorated by the church and I would think that they would, to be a saint, you would probably need to be a Christian <laughs> at minimum. Uh, qualifiers there. So this, the, the, that all, so uh, as usual, something that I would normally hate, Kira describes it in a way that makes me like it. Um, <laughs> it's really annoying. It's really annoying because I like think I'm kind of smart and then you do your thing and I'm like, oh, I could have been better being a person, but here, I like every, I love everything you just said, almost, except I didn't like where you said they should probably be Christian. No, no, you can't be a saint if you're not a Christian. Yeah. And by the way, if that sounds <laughs> offensive to you, I'm sorry. That's like saying like, it's like, it's like, I can't hand you a pizza and tell you it's a cheeseburger. Like they're, right. they're both amazing. They're different, right? My biggest problem is that I, I is actually with the idea of saints as canonized by a, a body like the Roman Catholic Church. Yes. That someone, that saint is someone's, you know, uh, like Mr. Doctor or Professor, like, oh, Saint, you know, Paul or Saint Julian of Norwich or something. That it needs to be, these people need to be recognized by a church body as having lived an exemplary life because it's part of a larger theology that suggests a hierarchy of, of holiness lived out and that this person is recognized as having achieved set apartness which my biggest problem with all of it is biblical mm. which is biblically the term saints comes from sanctified ones which was what you would which was like a word paul uses to describe anyone who's been baptized that if you've mm. been baptized you are a set apart one not and i need to say this for this group not set apart as better than other people. That's not the point. Set apart for very specific work in the world. Yeah. The set apart ones are sanctified, set apart, consecrated for a specific kind of work. If you are baptized, you are, you are incorporated into the body of Christ and you are meant to live your life following Jesus and doing Christ's work on earth. That is, that becomes your vocation, whatever your job may be. That becomes your vocation. You are a saint. Connecting sainthood to being a good person is garbage. And so we have phrases like, well, I'm no saint. Well, I don't know if you're baptized, actually you are a saint. <laughs> and so like, or like, oh, that person was a saint. I get it. Colloquially, I get it. Just like I, like, I, you know, I also don't want to be so heavenly minded. I'm no earthly good. But that language of like, but I have a deep problem with the idea of elevating certain people and deciding they're somehow, they've got something I'll never have when it comes to a relationship with our God. Because there are people, so, so, so for me, sainthood, yeah. you're a saint. I'm a saint. Like Ed and Mireya and Betsy are saints. And, and so like when, and so that matters to me as a differentiation from like, oh, like, and I've heard people, so this is my complaint, and then I'll stop and I want to hear what you say. I have heard the description of all saints and all souls sort of like 
all saints is for all of the canonized saints and mm -hmm. all souls is for everybody else. I think differentiating between like Christians who have died and then having an all souls day that acknowledges and celebrates specifically non-Christians that we love who have died and having that day be right next to this day and not less important, that has a really interesting possibility, like that holds some really interesting possibilities for me theologically and practically. But that's always been my, does that, and maybe maybe my anger is because I don't understand all saints and all souls. I've, I've been angry at things that I don't understand for most of my life. Today doesn't need to be different, but I'm just curious. Yeah, no, I think it it is, um... You know, some of that is like, like I was kind of saying early, earlier, All Saints is a little bit of the like, we know there are saints out there that the church has not necessarily given a specific day or, you know, acknowledged in some way, but they are still saints. Um, and so that's the kind of day that all of them, you know, get remembered and that striving of like, and I hope to be one too, yes. you know, <laughs> and I think the meaning, you know, again, as we kind of talk about saints, a lot of people, if you come to the Episcopal church from a lower church tradition, like talk about, talking about saints might be a little icky or um, uncomfortable. Or if, and if you come to the church, the Episcopal church from like the Roman Catholic tradition, you're like, yeah, saints are my like, my bros and my sisters, like these are, these are my people. And the Episcopal church just has a very odd relationship with the saints. And I think that's what makes this time kind of so confusing Yeah. and the way different churches um, do things in around this time makes it confusing. But um, I will say, really... because we have a theologically shallow and ill-defined understanding. Yeah. 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 And, you know, I mean, I think in one of the calendars, like John Weir is listed as a saint and like, he was not a Christian and, you know, how do you, like, there is something anyway, but my, the Which actual isn't fair saints, to him. It's not fair to him. No, no. Yeah. To like say, uh, I'm going to put this, I'm going to put this Jewish person, you know, or this atheist or this Hindu in my book of saints. Because they, because they were good people. Good for the environment or, you right. know. That's great. Like, it's great that they did that. And I believe God's got them. I'm not worried about their souls. Like it's, there's so, it, but they're not, but like, we're, they're not saints. Right. I, I will say like my relationship me. with the saints generally is like, I actually find the saints to be quite encouraging to me because they often are quite human and, um, you know, aren't sort of like, they may have done something really good, but they are also like very human and very of their time. And I think it gets dangerous when we start looking at, um, you know, and the other thing about saints and kind of commemorations of saints is that they're all thoroughly political. You know, I mean, you look oh, at- Oh, say like, more, say more. <laughs> well, just look at all of the popes and the bishops that have been canonized. What they were canonized for is usually something really, really offensive to the status quo. <laughs> or, or sometimes they're just like, they were just a bishop who like went and did a thing. And- yeah you know, now they're, they're a saint. Oh, oh, you mean they were canonized for political purposes? Yes. Oh, that's much lamer than what I was hoping you meant. Okay, cool, cool. Okay. Oh, no. <laughs> I think like a lot of, a lot of the popes get, they're, um, oh. the popes automatically get canonized in a sense. Yeah, it's like, Whether so, they're good popes or bad popes at, or. At my, at my seminary, at my seminary, if you get, if you were a, if you were a seminary, a graduate of Virginia Seminary and you get elected bishop, they give you an honorary uh, doctorate. Wow. It's like in, 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 uh, in like, uh, D men, like doctor of ministry. And I'm just like, oh, no offense if you're from Virginia and you're watching this, although maybe a little offense, like that's ridiculous. We don't even know if they're good. That's like when Barack Obama got the Nobel peace prize, like one year into being president. Yeah. <laughs> they, they gave him that prize before he did all those drone strikes on civilians. I think, um, uh, I think, 
but it's like one of those, it's like, it's like the aspirational thing. Like, please, please. Yes. Um, okay, okay, okay. So wait a minute. So are you distinguishing in your mind, are you saying that all souls, like if we did something where like All Saints Day was for the day for us to recognize all the Christians, all the those who were baptized. And by the way, that's actually my definition of Christian. That's a whole other conversation that we I would love to have with you. Because yeah. someone's, like, someone's like, well, I was baptized, but I'm not a Christian anymore. I'm always like, well, you kind of are. Um, yeah, too like, bad. <laughs> right, I, hate to, I hate to be super smug, but no, I don't. I love it. So um, you're still Christian. Um, they'll be like, well, I don't believe in God. And I'm like, I, I agree. You don't. That's fine. You're a Christian who doesn't believe in God. You've been baptized. Something happened to you. And, mm -hmm. um, um, you know, they'd be like, anyways. So anyways, but, but if we had a day for all those Christians who have died, mm -hmm. and then we had a day that was about like acknowledging all who have all souls who have mm -hmm. gone before Christian or not. And, and that was a space held in reverence and love. That, that sounds like powerful to me. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it's, you know, um, I think one, cultural thing that kind of helped Dia de los Muertos come into the broader conversation was the Pixar movie Coco. <laughs> okay, I want to, yes, yes. Well, Which is beautiful. Um, but this idea of, of your ancestors and your loved ones kind of surrounding you and being present in some yes, shape yes. or form and like remembering them. I mean, that's the whole thing that Coco is about. It's like remembering. Mm -hmm. And, remember, remember um, who they were, were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and and, and then the, and that there's life in it. Right. And not right. just sentimental not... or nostalgic life. Actual memory has power and life in it. Yes. Yes. Hmm. And that's um in you know, one of the things that I hear people say when they have loved ones who die, especially if it's kind of a, a tragic death or a young, younger death is like they still want to like talk about their loved one. Yeah. Um, my husband had a good friend who died when he was about 25. And he still like every year he when he's back home, he tries to like visit his friend's parents and they just like they talk about their son. And because yeah. like they want, you know, even though it's been almost 20 years, like I he's still that. their I, son. I, I, I knew I had three kids in my high school, one of the high schools I went to, in one year we had three kids die. Um, one from spinal meningitis Oof. and two by suicide. And I knew all three of them. We was a fairly small school at the time and two of them I'd gone to grade school with as well. Um, and yeah, I think about them all the time. And, and then in college, we I had a buddy who was in our little acting, like I was a theater guy. And so, you know, it, it, every cohort has their little, you know, he and I weren't close, close friends. I was, I think a senior when he was a sophomore or something like that. Um, but we, 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 we got along, we liked each other and we were in, a, we were in a show together. Um, he had stomach cancer and he died. And I think about him all the time, like all the time. I love that guy. And yeah, I don't know why, why shouldn't I? And why shouldn't that be a part of our it's like, there's this thing where we're not supposed to let that be a part of our story. Right. You know? Or I talk about, like my dad died in 2006 and I talk about it. I worry sometimes that I talk about it too much. Like that people are just like, we get it, we get it. Um, but I don't, I mean, like I was 26 and he died in my arms. How do you not talk about that? How do you not, how does that not shape you? Oh, and yeah, then it shapes you and I'm a verbal person. I'm a verbal processor. How do I not connect those things? Like I. So I don't know, I'm not trying to make excuses for myself. I, I'm just saying like this death thing, it's just around us and, and, and our, our loved ones who are dead are, well, first of all, I, I, there's different Christian theological approaches to this. I am of the theological mind that they are alive in Christ currently right this moment and are in fact surrounding me. Mm -hmm. so, 
I actually believe that my dead dad is alive, that he died and that he has been raised into, into eternal life and is, is in, and is in some form or fashion conscious. And as, as are those, those who died, my friend, Dave Medeiros and, and the others that I, I won't name all of them, but like those people that I was talking about earlier, like those are all, they're present in some way. And I don't, I don't pretend to understand it, but that would be, that would be my theology. Do you have, what's your, what do you, are you, uh, does that fit for you or what's your sort of theology around the, the people who died? Yeah. You know, I don't know if I think about it too intellectually. <laughs> I think it's more just vibes. Like <laughs> so vibe, give me your vibe on the dead. I want to, um, I want to hear you vibe the dead. Yeah. I, you know, I think there are times when I really feel the presence of those who I've loved and who are, are gone from this earthly realm. Um, when I was getting ordained to the diaconate, the, the, you know, there were a bunch of us getting ordained. It was the diocese of Texas. And the Bishop said something about like, I can feel like the saints and angels kind of like looking in to the church right now. And I just had this image of like my great uncle who was a priest, like, watching me and that felt really good um i've also had uh one of my one of my very beloved parishioners died in april and there are so many times where i just kind of keep thinking like oh i wonder what jenny would say or like (laughs) i wonder um you know just kind of remembering her her presence Mm -hmm. and her um just her, her being and, and really missing it. And I think, and it isn't, um, it's grief, but it's not a sad grief, you know, it's, uh, um, it's again, kind of back to like that wistfulness of just like, oh, that was, that was like a good time. Or that was like, those were good people. And, and I miss that. I think, I mean, I think melancholy is an important thing to be allowed to feel. Yeah. And like, I think you can say like, I miss that person and I'm not going to burst into tears right now. Right. But like, I can still say, I miss them. I wish they were still here. I'm sad that they died. I think having a proper place to acknowledge that not just once, but throughout your life is actually really important. And the church creating avenues for that is really, really healthy. Um, how do we, first of all, when is Dia de los Muertos uh, observed? It, it does straddle that day of all saints and all souls. So it's okay. kind of a two-day thing. And how do we, as um, white Americans, um, how do we learn about it and maybe learn to appreciate something more about death and our loved ones who have died before without falling into a space of the perpetual cultural appropriation for which we are well known. Right. Like, so like, I think there's two things happening, right? There's um, there's like the aesthetic of Dia de los Muertos and right. then there's like what it's accomplishing. Right. And um, to be fair, these earrings were a gift. So I did not purchase well, them myself. <laughs> so, so are your earrings an example of, 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 of the aesthetic uh, divorced from the reality? Yeah, I think so. Okay, Kira, <laughs> know thyself. I, I would say yes. Kira Austin, um, Young, one, Kira Austin Young, one of my problematic faves. <laughs> Eternally. And yet at the same time, like if there's the aesthetic appropriation without the like actual learnings of what's going on there in terms of remembering, in terms of a kind of comfort and ease around um, death and dead people and graveyards and you know all of that then I think we're we're missing we're missing the point yeah right? no, and, I, and I and I uh if I would be up for us paying more attention to Dia de los Muertos if it means us also being able to be transformed by someone else from by another culture's experience of death in a Christian context and how that's embraced and experienced. If we are willing to be transformed by it and allow yeah, them yeah. to take the, the driver's seat for a bit and, and allow ourselves to be driven somewhere new and, and, and shown something new, then that's interesting to me. If it just becomes one more like 
um, sort of uh, part of my well curated white existence, then I want to try to, I don't want to do that. Right. Right. Um, but, but I, so I, and I have, I have very complicated feelings about Mexican culture being from Southern California, mm -hmm. uh, which is essentially annexed Mexico. Yeah. Um, um, and so much, of, so this is a true story. It will sound ridiculous and I will sound like a butthead in the story. So I'm acknowledging that before I tell the story, I, I sound like a dork, but here's the reality. So we had moved out here to Cincinnati from California uh, six, five years ago. And I think it was, um, I think Coco came out four years ago or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, at any rate, so we were, we used to have a tradition of every Thanksgiving, we would go to Illinois where we have family and we would go do Thanksgiving there. And my, my mom and her husband would come from California and wherever I lived in the world, whether I used to live in New England or in Charlotte or North Carolina or Virginia or here in Cincinnati, we would go to Illinois. We'd all meet there, not really in the center, but you know, close enough mm -hmm. um, in the Midwest. And, uh, and we'd go there for Thanksgiving. So we did this one year and we took the kids to see Coco at the movie theaters in Illinois because it had just come out the day after Thanksgiving. And I was watching it and I hadn't missed California. Mm. And then I watched Coco and I felt homesick. Yeah. I, that's where I feel like I, there's a lot of that I don't have a right to say because it's like, like, oh, a white guy watches a movie about Mexico and feels homesick for California. But, and so that's ridiculous. And also growing up in Southern California, Mexican culture and Mexican-American culture is so much a part of my everyday life. Right. Moving somewhere to like Cincinnati, what's really fascinating is when you talk about racial issues and racial justice in Cincinnati, there are obviously people of every kind of color and culture in this city, and they really are, but the primary division racially is black and white. But yeah, that in, sounds very similar to my right. um, experience of moving from Texas. Yes, to yes, yes, <laughs> from Texas, yes. Same, thank you. So from Southern California, when we talk about racial dynamics, the largest sort of dynamic to sort of address, especially in Orange County, California, is that between Latin American and specifically Mexican American, because Mexican uh, immigrant, it's a huge area for Mexican immigration, uh, Mexican American versus sort of Anglo-American culture and how they, how they interact, that's like my primary experience of racial interaction growing up in Southern California. So Coco and Mexican culture and Mexican food, which I talk about all the time, um, I, I have to be careful because I, and I'm probably not careful enough, um, I, but I, I love the culture to the degree that I know it. Right. And, I'm always, and so Dia de los Muertos is like super attractive to me. It's got Mexican culture, it's got death, <laughs> it's got Jesus. I mean, yeah. like these are a few of my favorite things, people. Exactly. But I yeah. also like, how do I, how do I dig deeper without being that guy, I guess is the question. Right. I think like, so one, I wanna lift up the idea of what Barbara Brown Taylor calls holy envy and okay. that we can be envious of these traditions and this like rich cultural and theological text that is in this group that we're not a part of, you know, whether that's um, looking at, you know, how Jews celebrate things or how, you know, other, other people in other cultural groups celebrate things. Here's what I'm not gonna do. I'm not gonna build an ofrenda at my primarily white church right. with, you know, with the traditional aesthetic of sugar skulls and right. uh, very colorful, like, I'm, I'm not going to do that. That would be, that would feel extremely appropriate to me. However, if I was serving at a church um, that was in a primary, primarily like Latinx neighborhood or had a significant population, um, you know, I think that's a conversation that if a group wanted to take the lead on that and invite gringos and glows into sure. participation, um, that's, that's one thing. Yeah. But I think we can take, or not take, but <laughs> respect and lift up and even participate in some of what 
a celebration like Dia de los Muertos is doing without copying it or appropriating it. Right. It's like go, going back to like, yeah, I think that's right. And I think also what we found is, is what we found and we keep finding if we pay attention is our relationship with cultural appropriation is, is ongoing and complicated. And, and first of all, we're basically always guilty of it every moment, but also like, what does that mean? What, like, like it's built into our history. And so we like, like, and also there's something beautiful about allowing yourself to be influenced by other cultures. The question is, are you allowing yourself to be influenced by other cultures in a way that then also lifts up people who have historically been marginalized or are you just taking the best, the first fruits and going on your way? And right, you know, I like, like taking this and being like, well, I'm going to improve on this or I'm going to. Oh, uh, gosh. Right. You know? gonna, <laughs> no, well, I, I think on, I know we have to finish up. I, I think I might have a, a, an anecdote that will that could. I didn't know I was going to tell you this. So this was not planned, but I think this might actually tie us up in a nice little thing here. First of all, there's a there's an author and activist that if I haven't mentioned to you before, then I'm dumb. Um, her name is, and I've never heard her say it, so I may be pronouncing it incorrectly. I believe her name is Caitlin Dowdy. D-O-U-G-E-T-Y. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. She runs an organization called The Order of the Good Death. And she was, for many years, she is a mortician in the Los Angeles area. Mm-hmm. She worked at a mortuary and a crematory, a crematorium in the Bay Area for many years. Um, have you read any of her books, Kira? I have not, but I watched some of her videos. Okay, so I haven't seen any of her videos. Her first book was called Smoke Gets in Your Eyes, Tales from the Crematorium. Mm-hmm. High recommend for all people, but especially for you, Kira. And anyone who wants to contemplate death or is planning on dying anytime in the near future, you should check it out. Um, because you should think about what you want to do with your body when you're dead. Um, oh, 100%. That's, for, then, that's another conversation for another day. <laughs> and then her next book, or her, I, I, I'm, I gave it away after I read it. I try to give books away now after I've read them. I don't remember what it's called and I feel dumb, but the subtitle is Traveling the World in Search of the Good Death. And each chapter is a different place in the world and how they deal with the dead. Mm. Corpses, cremato- cre- cremation, etc. And there's a chapter on Mexico in Dia de los Muertos. Mm-hmm. This is the part I think that you will be excited about. There, She begins the, to, by describing a huge... Dia de los Muertos festival in Mexico City. I it's on my bucket list to go. <laughs> it's this is a thing that people don't know. It's a relatively new festival. Hmm. Dia de los Muertos was mostly rural. And the more urban Mexico got, the more they would try to shun the Muertos stuff and just hmm. be more more white essentially and more like like, no, 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 we don't want to do that country right. bumpkin. It's too superstitious. That's right, it's right. Too... we're staying away from that. Mm-hmm. Then about 10 years ago, uh, or maybe less, uh, James, they made a James Bond movie that begins, the whole first scene is in an enormous Dia de los Muertos festival p- parade in Mexico yes. City. That parade didn't exist. And the people of Mexico, the, 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 the governing authorities and essentially travel like tourism bureau um, and, and chamber of commerce and all that basically started a Dia de los Muertos parade copying the James Bond movie that has a Dia de los Muertos parade in Mexico City. And now it's a thing that Mexico City has like, and, and that the culture is super, the urban culture is embracing on a major level. Mm-hmm. Because they're like, man, it'll make us some money. Yep. <laughs> um, and they're not wrong. And it's an awesome Bring holiday. Some tourism dollars. Yeah. They're, they're like, they're like embracing. And so it's this weird irony of like this 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 urban culture that had sought to to shun this thing is now drawing it closer and and making this magnificent thing. So I'm not telling you not to go. Um right. but, but it's like it's this like what happens when the culture is reappropriated and it goes through like this this uh cultural appropriation spin cycle and mm. and there's sort of like a no 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 we're 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 you're right we should probably pay attention we're gonna do this thing and um um so anyways i just thought that was like such a funny like um that was such a funny 
uh, illustration of how cultures interact yes. and how, and, and on some level, it's like on a wider level when you're given permission to observe your rituals and acknowledge the dead. I'm gonna mute while this thing chimes and we're gonna, and you're gonna, and I'm gonna ask you what you've been listening to lately. Okay, what have I been listening to lately? I was thinking about this in um, this morning as I was walking the dog and I don't know if I, I don't know what I've been listening to lately. I mean, that's not entirely true. Um, a friend of mine made a playlist on um, on Spotify called Jesus, hand claps, tweet, instru instrumentation, etc. That's like kind of contemporary Christian music, but it's in that kind of Sufjan Stevens like vibe. So it's vibey. all very like vibey Christian music, vibey twee, like banjos, hand claps. Um, people, people who could shower, but don't. <laughs> and I've I've just been finding it so like it's what I want to listen to when I'm just in the office working on stuff because it's Christian but it's not what I like grew up with as Christian music I'm highly oh, yeah. skeptical of oh, yeah. contemporary Christian music so That's this playlist think. is like giving me life because it's kind of it's what I would say is like good contemporary Christian music um I, you'll have to send me the playlist yeah <laughs> can we is it it's so is it like lumineer christianity it is lumineer christianity yes <laughs> that is exactly okay. what it is let me your lumineer christian spotify playlist i'm making a playlist right now of all the stuff i've been listening to in october i'm going to send it to you awesome um chip taylor who's a songwriter um you know a bunch of his songs even if you don't know them i'd have to look them up but he's like one of those old school guys He's got this really good, you don't know, you don't know him singing any of them. You know other people singing all his songs. Mm -hmm. He's old and grizzled now. And he does a version of the Regina Spector song on the radio, oh. which has a verse in it that I actually like, will bring me to tears literally every time. And she's spunky, like eccentric Regina, mm -hmm. which I love her, adore, fantastic. And he's like this grizzled old guy and he covers this song. And it was on the, it was in the soundtrack or it was shown over the credits during um, a season finale episode of Sex, Edu uh, Sex, Ed Sex Education, I think it's called on Netflix. Yeah, yeah. Which is a great show. And um, anyways, it just blew my mind. So that, check that out. Check out Chip Taylor singing on the radio. Um, obviously Adele has a new single out, pay attention people. And, yes. um, and Neil, Neil Young was very, I love him. He's very hit or miss. Like he'll put out a whole album where I'm like, nah, a whole album. It's one of the greatest songwriters of all time. And I'll be like, oh, now. But there's a, he has a new album out with Crazy Horse. That's not ever a given that it's going to be okay. The single is out. And the single is just like my October vibes. Like Phil's yes. October vibes are this new Neil Young song. I don't even know what it's called. I'd have to look it up. But it's the new Neil Young and Crazy Horse song. And it's my, it's my October vibes. Awesome. Um, and then I've been obsessively listening to e ELO, as I told you last week. Ub, yeah, I did Ub. listen to some ELO while I was driving around last Tuesday. <sighs> it is some bops. There are some bops there. They are like, imagine if you just took all of your shame away and were like, <laughs> I'm just going to make the most poppy pop music and no shame. No shame. Just <sighs> sheer, like, it's like eating oh. whipped cream or something. Oh. I'm going to go eat some whipped cream right now. <laughs> That's a great idea. Um, uh, okay, so you're gonna send me Luminar Christianity. I'm gonna send you my playlist. Um, do you have any, Halloween's a coming. Halloween is a coming. Is there a specific movie that you're gonna watch? Um, so my friend Dwight does a, and they're a movie buff and they do a October list of kind of spooky, scary movies uh -huh. every year. So yesterday I watched one of their recommendations which yeah. is Lake Mungo. And it is in a like mockumentary style of, you know, a young girl who dies in a lake and um, it's based in Australia right. and, um, and there, you know, spooky things start happening. And it's, it's again, as I was talking about in terms of what I've been reading, it's one of these things where like the, it sort of unfolds a little bit slowly, but you kind of get the fuller, you have like a picture and then the picture kind of gets, um, bigger throughout the movie and it just has this a whole mood of like dread and it's not 
scary, scary. Like it's not like slasher scary, but it is like, I definitely got some like little tingly. Like shining, like shining scary? Probably not even that scary, but it, it's yeah. definitely, I could definitely got a little like. I showed my kids the original Disney Ichabod Crane last night. Ooh. They were pissed. They were like angry. <laughs> it's a really, first of all, it's super weird. Bing Crosby, Bing Crosby's narrating it. And what? it's a 22 minute long story about which like 17 or 18 minutes of it is actually very, very like lighthearted and like uh, kind of messed up, but like talk about toxic masculinity, but like very lighthearted. And then it just gets dark. And then at the end, it's sort of like, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. The end. <laughs> and they're like, pissed. my daughter was just like, that is not a good ending. But it meant she was paying attention. I really, I like that. I like that. Yeah. So. You're like, no, this is good. This is when you have like strong feelings about it. Even if they're not something. positive. I need to watch something spooky soon. Yeah. All right. Uh, as is always the case. It's such a joy to be with you today. Yes, happy to to be with y'all. I hope you have a very spooky, spooky season. I think, I hope the people of Redeemer who are watching this and listening to this will hold me accountable to us getting spookier the next few years. And (laughs) maybe we can get some, we'll get some consulting from Kira in St. Anne's Nashville on best practices for a truly spooky Hallowtide. Hallowtide, yes. And I think, you know, like I said, I think Advent is also lends itself to spookiness. Obviously Lent can be pretty spooky and just in terms of, you know, meditation on death and sin and all that good stuff. By the way, you know what the color of the Cincinnati Bengals is, right? It's black and orange, baby. Black and orange. Yeah. I was going to say. Halloween colors for our football team. Yes. Okay. Enough of this. Y'all are fantastic. Kira, you're even better than all them. And uh, we're going to wrap it up. Y'all have a great Halloween and we'll see you all. We might see you next week. I thought we were. You think we were. (laughs) Stay tuned. We might see you next week. (laughs) Bye, friends. Bye.